Are you curious about how you might have a more fulfilling work life? Well, you're not alone. In fact, the numbers show us that many of us want more fulfilling work lives. I'm Susan Mikriadon, your host. And as a finance director, ops director and leadership coach, who has lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences and perspectives. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the people side of work life and explore ways to let your uniqueness shine through by sharing insights, stories, strategies and techniques to inspire your work life. This morning, I'm delighted to be joined by Gavin Andrews of HearthMath. Gavin, you're very welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Susan, thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Well, let's get straight to the heart of the matter, Gavin, and tell me what exactly is heart math? Oh, crikey, that's probably the most difficult question you could start with, actually, <laughs> um, because it's, it's quite a few different things. Look, heart math is a system, basically. So it's, so it's a number of different things. And what it includes is an aspect about connecting with your own heart. So in a simple term, that's just about learning how to focus on that part of your body. And a lot of people don't. We live in our heads most of the time. We're not really aware of what's going on in our bodies. But there's a there's a, an element to this, which is about actually connecting with your physical heart, that part of your body. We maybe talk about metaphorical heart a bit later. But yeah, about bodily awareness, interoception, that's sometimes called to an awareness of what's going on in, in your body, in our case, particularly the heart. There's then an aspect to this, which is basically breath work. So as you probably know, breath work's everywhere at the moment it's, it's breathing seems to have become very fashionable it's and there's cool. all sorts of wonderful books yeah mindfulness had its time now breathing's in you know and uh, it's all good stuff obviously there's some amazing books coming out but the, part of heart math is all about breathing and what we call coherent breathing which is also called resonant breathing sometimes called 0.1 hertz breathing as well which is basically slow deep balanced breathing at a rate of around about six breaths a minute some people benefit from a little faster some people benefit from a little slower so there's some breathing and the idea is it's particularly focusing on the heart whilst doing the breathing another aspect of the system is about emotional self-regulation so it's recognizing that emotions are reactions you know we have them all the time and they're unconscious many of them but emotions are also choices so we can intentionally choose to feel gratitude appreciation love care you know most of the time most people don't necessarily do that. We just reacting to what's going on in our environment or inside our head that's good or bad. But part of it's about emotional self-regulation, which then empowers behavioral self-regulation as well. And then the other bit, which is the bit that draws lots of people to heart math, is the technology or the biofeedback. So we have technology which actually enables you to measure the, and validate that you can get into this state that we call coherence. The state's gotten into through the focus, the breathing and the emotional regulation. But that shows up physiologically in terms of heart rhythms. So the biofeedback is measuring and monitoring your heart rhythms, providing you with feedback, depending on the device, either on your phone or on your computer. And so that then enables you to A, know that you can do this to yourself, 
and then be practice, develop, get better, measure yourself, monitor yourself. And for many people, technology as well is, is really what helps them to build the habit of this. You know, we've gotten into a world where <laughs> we're using our phones and computers all of the time. And so this is a sort of meeting point between, you know, technology and ancient wisdom, really. The breath work and stuff's been around for millennia, but now we've got some gadgets that can actually measure these states that we can put ourselves into. Wow. So yeah, system, there we are. System, oh, there's so much in there. <laughs> Where to start? Too much. I know, I know. No, it's incredible. And first of all, why would I want to do this, I guess? Why would I want to measure my heart rate and the variability of my heart rate? Well, really, to be honest with you, you'd only want to get engaged in the technology bit of the system. And just to clarify, you know, you don't, the, the system will still work. The techniques will work with or without technology. It's the techniques that are the most important thing. But why you might be interested in the technology is if you're the type of person that likes to a prove that something's real. So for, for you know many people are interested in meditation and mindfulness and they give it a go, but many people don't actually know what they should be experiencing or they don't actually necessarily feel or experience anything, or they tell themselves, "Oh, this thing's supposed to be about you know I don't know, not thinking about anything or." you know, astrally projecting, whatever people tell themselves they're supposed to experience, you know, but they don't, then they get frustrated that they don't, they can't name it or feel it or experience it. So the benefit of the biofeedback is to begin with, Susan, it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not, you're going to get some feedback from the technology, which will validate whether you are or are not in the state and will actually give you a measure of the extent to which you are in it. So then over time, if you use the technology, the biofeedback is helping you to, to then recognize, oh, so this thing's telling me that I am not coherent at the moment. What do I notice? Oh, actually, there's a bit of tension. All my thoughts are racing. Or I've just worried about what I'm going to have for dinner or whatever. Oh, it's now going green and it's telling me I am coherent. What's different? Oh, well, I've relaxed my body. I realize that I'm managing to focus on something that I feel appreciation of gratitude for. So there's the validation there. It's a bit like forms of like focused attention meditation in that you're focusing on something external and then you're focusing on something internal in terms of the breath and the feelings. And you're using the external and the internal as a form of feedback to help you adjust. So you could then adjust your breathing and see the impact that that would have on the technology. You could shift a feeling to a memory of something and see what impact that would have on the technology and your level of coherence. So it's it enables the individual to just yeah, perform a sort of dance, if you like, between what am I seeing on the screen and what am I experiencing myself. So to clarify, the technology doesn't do anything to you. It's not like forms of technology that might stimulate you in some way or zap your vagus nerve or whatever, I don't know. But it's it's just giving you data on what you're doing to yourself. So yeah, if you're the type of person that you know is interested in technology and measuring things, if you're the type of person who might find it easier to build a habit with some form of feedback then that's why you'd use it but the techniques themselves work without the technology and actually heart math existed for a good number of years as a system of techniques before it even realized that you could measure you know what was really going on with the biofeedback tech i suppose that's the question i have then is why measure it and not necessarily mm. with with the technology but mm. what's the benefit of understanding my coherence or my heart rate variability you know what i mean what what exactly yeah. is it well okay so 
in simple terms, coherence is an optimal state. So you're measuring your ability to put yourself in an optimal state, bearing in mind that many of us most of the time are not in an optimal state, but we can intentionally put ourselves there. So it's an optimal state physically in that what's going on is you're helping your body go into balance. So I won't go into too much of the science at the moment, but the, you're balancing the autonomic nervous system when you're in this state. So it goes into this lovely synchronized pattern, which is what we can see reflected in the heart rhythms on the technology. So the autonomic nervous system is is synchronized between the sympathetic, the bit that speeds everything up, and the parasympathetic bit that slows everything down. It's working yeah, synergistically and in balance. Now that does some wonderful things. It, it facilitates homeostasis. So you're putting your body in a place where it can you know, renew itself, rebalance itself, self-organize, give you, you know, all of the renewal and revitalization that you need, keep you healthy, basically. Okay, so it's, it's doing that physically. And there are also benefits cognitively in that when you practice coherence, the, the brain basically follows. So the heart's the largest rhythm maker in the body. You go into this lovely ordered, stable rhythmic pattern. The impact of that on the brain, in effect, is that the stress centers sort of deactivate and the prefrontal cortex comes back online again. So then when you are coherent, you can also, well, you can be more logical, rational, but you could also be more creative. You can be more empathetic. You can be more of all of those, you know, higher cognitive skills that make us human beings and the best versions of ourselves. So that's why you would do it. You're basically learning how to optimize yourself physically and mentally. And, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about the other side of heart later, but also, you know, kind of spiritually for want of a better word or existentially. Yeah. And so in a way, my heart can rule over my head. Well, we don't really want it to rule necessarily. You know, humans are systems as well. And as a system, we work best when everything's in balance and working together. So my perspective on things would be that we, because of the nature of, you know, our education, schooling and society and the world we live in, we tend to be very head-based, but then that's missing an important part of being human, which is the heart bit. So we're more about joining heart with head, hearts and brains, as opposed to putting the heart in control. But having said that, Susan, yeah, I would also say that a decision that's made, including the heart, is superior to a decision that's made just by the mind. And probably, you know, as well, you know, a decision that's just made with the heart, that could probably get you in trouble as well. So, you know, we're just looking at basically making sure the system's working in its entirety, you know, and then and then it's optimal. Yeah, it's understanding that there is more than your brain that can help mm -hmm. you get through life. Yeah, definitely. And and a lot of us tend to, like you say, just use our brains or our heads, not realize we're using our heart, because I guess the heart must have a say regardless. Well, yeah, I mean, it's available to us. It depends what sort of state we're in physically and mentally and certainly states of stress interfere with the ability to include the heart in in decision making and but not just stress as in unpleasant feelings and emotions but also you know cognitive load or distraction or just using the brain a lot for the types of things we use our brain for in this day and age which is you know constantly thinking or working or observing or reading you know when we're doing that then then the heart doesn't really have a chance to to get involved it's we need to be more intentional i mean this is something that in terms of you know evolutionary history would have been we would have been much more used to using information from the whole of our bodies actually and paying attention to that 
but particularly the heart as a source of information is very powerful and you know ancient traditions have always said that you know listen to the heart etc but we know now that science is is validating that so we know that there's a continuous form of communication between the heart and the brain that the brain is influenced very strongly by the heart and more strongly than the heart is influenced by the brain actually that the brain you know is firing in time with the, the heartbeats and so if we can get the heart and the physiology into a lovely state of coherence then the brain will follow that and that will then benefit all of the cognition that's available to us and so that's how we can end up then making better decisions or having more useful insights into you know relationships other people their behaviors access intuition you know whatever intuition is i know people like to argue about it but it's you know whether you want to argue about the definitions there's a form of information that's available to us when we're in certain states that isn't available to us when we're in other states so we call that intuition and so yeah it just makes that that all of that different type of information more available and opens us up to other information in the environment as well that isn't necessarily available when we're in certain other brain states particularly beta or you know stressed brain states mm. and i think what i liked about the way you said it, it it opened up for creativity as well and mm. I suppose that relaxation, because if you are constantly thinking, there's no space, is there, for anything else? So there's not. It's and the safety perhaps it brings if your heart is involved, that you feel safer because you've slowed down. Well, that that's in effect what intentionally making yourself coherent does. So you know, with all these things you have to have self-awareness so you have to have self-awareness of I'm, I'm in a suboptimal state here mentally physically and emotionally i'm stressed about something i'm worried about something or i can't solve this problem when your body is activated in that kind of stress response type way it's focused narrows the brain's focus narrows and so other information isn't isn't available to you you know the brain is basically putting itself in a place where it it, it can keep you alive it's putting you in more of that fight flight freeze mode when it does that, it's going to take resources away from the, the prefrontal cortex. So lo and behold, you're going to have trouble being creative when you're stressed about something. What is an artistic block? It's a creative person who is stressed and cannot access their creativity. So that can be overcome relatively easily. And the way into the system is a way of hacking in, if you like, like a biohack, is through changing the breathing. So when you slow and deepen and regulate the breathing, that has a very quick impact on those on the heart rhythms the heart rhythms then become ordered and stable and go into these lovely repeating cycles oscillations they change the information that's going to the body into the brain and then so in effect the brain says hang on a minute now there's all this stability and ordered rhythm coming back at me i don't need my stress centers anymore i must be safe to use the word that you just used, I must be safe. This is not conscious, obviously, it's all happening unconsciously. But order and stability equates to safety. And so then the, the activity in the brain, the resources can go back to the cortex, particularly the prefrontal cortex, which is, of course, where our creativity <laughs> resides and where our empathy and our compassion and our ability as well to self-regulate. So, you know, to do or say something that's more appropriate or productive than we might do or say if we were stressed. Because generally, most of us are the worst versions of ourselves when we're stressed. Yeah, and, yeah. and because we feel under attack as well, and we don't have yeah. that space, I guess, and we don't feel safe. Mm. But you talked about six breaths a minute, that mm. that would be 
like a lovely place to get to. How mm. many breaths do we normally take in a minute? <laughs> it depends, but the average person far too many. So anywhere between 12 and 20 breaths a minute. And that's kind of not a constant, of course. That's varying depending on, on what we're doing. So for sure, I mean, if we're going for a run, we need to breathe more rapidly. That's that's fine. But what can also happen is when we get stressed, so perhaps we just, re, you know, we've been sat at our desk and we've received an email from somebody, a friend or a client or something, and it's caused us to get stressed. You know, maybe a client's told us our work's rubbish and they've been rude to us or something and we're, we're offended and we're anxious or whatever. Well, that emotional response, mental response, physiological response is going to have an impact on our breathing. So some of us might start breathing more rapidly in an experience like that. Some of us actually might hold our breath. So we're not breathing rapidly, but we're, we're holding and that's suboptimal as well. So, so breathing is something that we all do all of the time, obviously. Very few people pay any attention to it or they only even notice it when it becomes suboptimal or uncomfortable or whatever. And so what we're realizing, well, actually, again, in the ancient traditions, we've known it forever. But what we're not realizing scientifically now is that generally slow, deep breathing at a rate of around about six breaths a minute for most people. So that's a 10 second breath cycle, five seconds in, five seconds out. Although everybody's slightly different. So some people may be slightly faster, some slightly slower. But as a general rule of thumb, six breaths a minute, that's optimal for a number of things. First of all, just generally feeling calm, but focused. So alert, you know, not too relaxed. We're not talking about relaxation, actually. Coherence is not relaxation. It's a state between activation and relaxation, which is optimal for your performance. So you feel calm, but focused. You can do stuff. You can think. You can engage in things. The other thing that happens when you breathe in this type of rate is the brain waves synchronize to the breathing rhythm. And then that synchronization spreads to the cortex or the areas that are responsible as well for memory and emotion and cognition. So that's having the, that benefit on the brain. The six breaths a minute, 10 second cycle roughly also, has been shown to improve what's called the baroreflex. So this is a system that is basically baroreceptors are a sensor neuron so they're just monitoring what's going on with blood pressure basically independent of the breath and everything else so what happens is when you breathe in that way it stimulates them and it, it kind of like exercises them basically and they get they get sensitive and they get better at doing what they should be doing they also then begin to go into this lovely pattern independent of the breath so they're just kind of doing this thing in the background that's keeping you in balance and so what they're doing is they're assisting homeostasis so that then means as well that your body is, is, is being put back in a state where it can renew itself, reorganize itself, revitalize itself. That is the opposite state, obviously, to what we're in when we're stressed. So many people, I would say most people, are experiencing too little homeostasis and too much what we call allostasis, which is stress, wear and tear. Okay. So, yeah, the six breaths a minute thing sounds like, you know, well, it's just simple. You just need to slow down and breathe and breathe more deeply and slowly. Well, yes, you do. But actually don't underestimate the real power of that. Breathing is so incredibly powerful and important and can be very good for us or very bad for us. You do not get the same benefits from mouth breathing as you do from nasal breathing. So we should be doing this through the nose as well. You've got noses for a reason. It's to breathe through nasal breathing creates some resistance just because obviously 
the nostrils are smaller than the mouth. So it creates some resistance. So actually with the slow, deep nasal breathing, you're actually exercising your cardiorespiratory system. Just naturally, as you sit there doing nothing, basically, you're exercising in effect. You get more oxygen into the blood and better CO2 homeostasis as well through the nose. And that's because you're releasing nitric oxide. And nitric oxide has another benefit, which is it basically uh, inhibits pathogens. So it helps kill germs. So just breathing deeply and slowly through your nose is an incredibly powerfully healthy thing to do. And a kind of final point on that is, given that we got COVID in the environment, nasal breathing is like frontline defense, basically. If you breathe, sleep deeply and slowly, you're going to get the nitric oxide and that's going to be frontline defense for killing any nasty COVID virus that might go in your nose. Whoa. <laughs> but also, Kevin, is, does it matter how deep you breathe, like down into, say, belly breathing? Yeah, it does. And that's one of the things actually to begin with that some people can find a bit clunky with the heart math because we say focus on your heart. And sometimes when people focus on the heart, they then breathe too high up as well, too sort of shallowly. So the idea is you focus attention in the heart area or you know, putting the hand there can really help as well. But we do want to make sure the belly's relaxed. And that's because, as I'm sure you know, you know, the diaphragm needs to be able to move in its entirety. And again, lots of people, they don't know they're doing it, but they're, they're, they, te they have tension in the belly. Sometimes that's because we don't want our belly to be sticking out. We want to look slim and beautiful and, and all of that. But also a lot of people, when you stress, they we tense our belly. It's a protection thing. You know, if you're going to get attacked, you want the muscles of your belly to protect you. So, again, it's unconscious. It served a purpose in evolutionary terms. But a lot of people are breathing too shallowly as well because the belly's tense. So relax that as well. Nice, slow, deep. You're going to get, you know, oxygenation throughout the whole of the lungs. Yeah. So it's, it's important to be deeply as well slowly yeah so that's breath then maybe the emotion side because you talked about emotions yeah as well. and I guess people are maybe think that well heart makes me soft and emotional and that's mm. not how I'm supposed to show up in the world I'm supposed to be tough and mm. and always logical yeah so what what's the that for the skeptics, perhaps, or those of us that maybe don't believe in bringing our emotional self to the workplace, how do you deal with that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's quite common, you know, probably culturally in Britain, but also, you know, I'm a man, so I can say it, you know, for, for men as well. We think that we should be in control of our emotions or suppress our emotions or that emotions can get us in trouble and that it's logical, rational brain that we should live our lives by. That's nonsense. We're human beings, you know. We're human beings. And even if we might convince ourselves that we don't have those emotion things and they don't get us into trouble, suppression of emotions is incredibly unhealthy. And all the science shows that. So, yeah, my pushback on that is that that way of thinking is very old fashioned. It leads to poor physical and mental health. We know there's a correlation between emotional suppression and disease, particularly heart disease and so if you're doing it you need to stop but i'd also say that part of being human is well not part of being human being human is about emotions we are feeling creatures quality of life does not depend upon the size of your house and how wonderful your car is i'm not saying that those things can't make you happy but that's the key word it's the happiness that's the quality of life and happiness in life does not just come from 
possessions and extrinsic things or measures, happiness comes from a wide variety of different sources. And actually, happiness is not the one single thing that we should pursue because part of being human is the whole world of emotion and feeling and, and all of them are valid. So the emotion part of HeartMath is about recognizing that emotions are what make us human. Emotions are where we get quality of life from and recognizing that whilst we don't want to suppress emotions, we do have some choice around them. We have some, some control. And so therefore what we can do if we become aware of our emotions is regulate some of the unpleasant ones that just really don't help us, don't serve us well. And actually if we experience too many of them make us ill. And on the flip side of that, to recognize that we have got opportunities to choose to feel pleasant, positive emotions more frequently. And if we do that, then there are the physical, mental health benefits. But actually, you know, quality of life is just based upon how you're feeling. And to really oversimplify things, there's a ratio of feeling good and feeling bad. And, uh, you know, a, a, a pretty good life has some balance between feeling good and feeling bad. And a really good life might have a bit more feeling good. And feeling bad and so it's just about having control over that uh, and most people don't no, emotions and, are reactions for most people and and you're not talking about thinking positive I mean it's this isn't just kind of positive psychology is it it's well it is I mean I think it, well it is in the in the proper sense of positive psychology in the positive psychology is not about just thinking it's about you know actually having the physiological experience or so it includes the feeling and the emotion side of things you, you know, you can't divorce the two. But no, I think there is, I, I think that just telling yourself things, thoughts, is, is not what this is about. It must be include a felt experience. I can keep telling myself that I'm doing okay when I'm not. And people around me could clearly see that I'm not doing okay. You know, and in fact, you know, mental toughness, which is one of the lenses that resilience is viewed through, you know, there's lots of kind of mental toughness training programs. I'm not saying mental toughness isn't a useful skill to have, but mental toughness in and of itself actually could be very damaging. You could be so mentally tough that actually you could push your body so hard. If you're, a, if you're an athlete, you know, your mental toughness can cause you to override all of the information that your body's given you about how much it hurts and how tired it is. And then you can do that to the extent where you could damage yourself. You can burn yourself out. Mental toughness is what can put you in a place where for, you know, five or 10 years of your career, you're working way too hard. You're getting, you're overriding the body saying, oh, I need a bit more sleep or I'm not really enjoying myself anymore. It's just like, no, keep pushing through. And that's, and that's damaging. So it isn't about just thinking positively. It's about actually connecting with the emotion and the feeling. So really being happy as opposed to just telling yourself, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. <laughs> So how can I be happy? How can I feel that? How can I, rather than tell myself, oh, today I'm really happy. Yeah, I'm smiling. Yeah. You know, what, yeah, what's yeah. the difference? How can I do that? How can I create that for myself? Well, the first step is through balancing the body. Because if you're, if you're experiencing stress and anxiety, even if you're not conscious of it, it's in the system. So the system's out of balance. There's chaos there. And to varying degrees, the stress centers are activated as well. So the first part is basically the, the heart focus and the breathing. So that needs to be the foundation, bring balance back into the body. That, if you like, takes you to a more neutral, balanced place. But that's the foundation then for self-regulation. It's very hard to self-regulate when you're stressed and anxious. 
part of your brain that enables you to do that offline. So first step, balance, get out of that state, get yourself kind of like more neutral. You know, use a driving analogy. You're kind of like in neutral gear. Most of us have got automatic cars now, of course. But anyway, you know, you're in neutral and you're kind of freewheeling along. When you're in that place, you can then decide what gear to select. So then I could decide, okay, actually now I'm in this balanced place. What I might try and do is to feel some appreciation. I might try and feel some gratitude for the things that in my life are actually pretty good at the moment. You know, okay, I might have that problem and I might not enjoy, you know, that aspect of my work. But actually, I've got this going on. I do enjoy that. And that, that one project I'm working on, it's really cool because it lets me be creative. You know, we had a quick chat beforehand about, you know, spring. It's about things like looking out of the window and looking at, you know, nature bursting forth after a, a long winter where we've all been locked up. And then, you know, the blossoms are coming out and, the, you know, the, the trees are becoming green. And if we don't give ourselves an opportunity to do that, to make the choice, I am going to notice these things, it doesn't happen. And that, again, is just the way humans are. There was an evolutionary benefit to this previously. You know, we need to be constantly vigilant when, when life's a dangerous or the world's a dangerous place. But the world isn't such a dangerous place now. Our dangers are more the kind of psychosocial status anxiety type stuff and its deadlines and its ways that we want to be and things that we want to achieve and that type of stuff. And it means that we don't give ourselves the opportunity and the space to intentionally experience gratitude, appreciation, stuff like that. So it's, it's the moments. Yeah. And so throughout the day, you, know, you can pepper your day with that. It's just 30 seconds here, a minute there. You know, that's that's really beneficial. Yeah, if you want to also turn it into a 20 minutes a day, really trying to feel deep appreciation, care, compassion, you know, those types of feelings, which we also know from the particularly the Buddhist tradition, really connecting with compassion and care has huge physical, mental health benefits. So that's how you do it. It's just giving yourself the space and the time and then trying to build it in as a habit. That's often the hardest thing for most people is just remembering to be conscious of the breathing and remembering to regulate the breathing more frequently, remembering to press pause for a minute or two and, you know, search for stuff to feel grateful for and appreciative for. But if you do that, you know, switching emotions changes hormones as well. So the breathing will, will balance the autonomic nervous system. But when you genuinely connect with a feeling of appreciation or gratitude or care or love, you're going to get different hormones into your system that wouldn't otherwise be available to you. You're going to get DHEA, which is a vitality hormone. You're going to get oxytocin, which is called the love drug or the hug drug. And it, and it buffers stress. So it means if you've got it in your system, you, you manage your stress better as well. If we spend our day rushing around with a degree of anxiety or worry, we're not getting the balance. We're not getting the hormones that make us feel good and do us good. So yeah, ultimately, this is about choice and self-awareness and if we have the self-awareness then we have an opportunity to to regulate and, and engage in these simple techniques mm. and it's fascinating in a way because i think we can go for months in high stress like some people probably years yeah but actually really what you're doing is you're kind of borrowing from the future it sounds like to me yeah, you know, that's the, a nice way of thinking about it, yeah. Because actually your heart keeps going and everything keeps you you running and, and moving and breathing and living. But at some point, something's going to have to give. And that might yeah. be when you stop and you have no time to appreciate anything anymore. 
Yeah, well, whilst I can't, you know, promise that this stuff's going to make, you know, everybody live longer, the, the scientific evidence would be that these types of techniques, not just heart math, but, you know, in general, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, you know, all of these types of things, they, they reduce stress, so they reduce allostasis, wear and tear, and they put the body back into a place where it can take care of itself. So you the more stressed you are, the shorter your life's going to be for most people. That's a fact of it. We know that now. And the more stressed you are, the more likely you are to develop unfortunate diseases and conditions. We know that there is a clear correlation between stress and all sorts of horrible diseases and conditions. That's that's fact. So if you can manage your stress, you have less likelihood of wearing yourself out and developing, you know, an awful disease uh, i'm not going to promise that it will stop, stop it from happening but it reduces the likelihood and the propensity and yes of course the more of your life that you live with high levels of, of stress and low quality of life the more likely that something is going to pop up when you get a bit older and unfortunately we do see in society a lot of people hitting their 30s and 40s and developing health problems you know weird sort of autoimmune stuff that didn't exist 50 100 years ago you know complex stuff that, that medicine can't really understand it particularly the autoimmune stuff actually where's it coming from it's coming from lifestyle uh, and it's coming from the fact that we have got a particularly you know stressful world that we live in maybe not in terms of the intensity of the stress as it has been in the past but just the constant enduring level of you know anxiety and busyness and distraction and, and that type of thing mm. so maybe we can go back again to the mm. meditation mindfulness and maybe the differences between being in an optimal state and a relaxed mm. state. Yeah, so the terms mindfulness and meditation used quite broadly and they refer to different things. But in, for me, I, I sort of prefer the, the Buddhist side of mindfulness in that it, it is about emotions as well. And it's, it is particularly about the positive emotions like the compassion and the care and, and nurturing those types of things. and and emotional regulation is a big part of the more of the Buddhist type of mindfulness. I think one of the problems with sort of secularization of, of mindfulness and meditation is the taking out of the emotion, the taking out of the heart. And so this is not true for everybody, but sometimes mindfulness can be about sort of disengaging, disassociating, trying to not think about things or, or, or just observing thoughts as they come and go just observing the breath, doing what the breath might want to do, you know, got a kind of non -ship. Now, this is all really useful to go to do. It's very important. You know, I have a, a mindfulness practice and meditation practice alongside heart math. I'm not saying that heart math is, you know, hey, this is the, this is the best approach to. It's not. And actually, heart math is 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 certainly contains aspects of mindfulness for sure, as in more the Buddhist side of it. But what it's creating in terms of a state is very specific because coherence is not the same as relaxation you know when we measure it using heart rate variability information there's different ways of measuring heart rate variability but one of the ways is using different frequencies and we can see very clear different in the coherence frequencies as opposed to the relaxation frequencies. so relaxation is when the parasympathetic is dominant and that's really important and most people are not getting enough parasympathetic and renewal not even when they're sleeping but if you're in a deep state of relaxation it's actually very hard to perform you know actually the, the brain slows down when you're really deeply relaxed you know so we don't it's, a, it's an example i use quite a lot but you know you don't if you're if you're 
well, none of one's flying at the moment, but next time that we can go on holiday, you know, you, and you're going on a long haul flight, you don't want the pilot of your Airbus or jumbo jet to be mega relaxed when they're coming into land. That's the last thing you want. You want them to be present, calm, but alert. You actually probably want their average heart rate to be a little bit higher than it normally would be because you want them to be able to respond in a moment's notice should anything dangerous happen, okay? We don't want them to be too activated. We don't want them to be too stressed because that's compromising as well. So really for kind of performance throughout the day, too much or too little of anything is not great. We don't want too much sympathetic. Unless we're exercising, that's appropriate. We don't want too much parasympathetic unless we're going to have a little nap at lunchtime or something that we do. Generally, what we want is this state that's somewhere in between. And that's what coherence is. And so it's a very unique or specific state and one that we can intentionally put ourselves into. How does it relate to flow, Gavin? Well, I'd say it's the same thing. So, you know, this is going back into the, the meditation and mindfulness side of things. You know, there are, there are times when you meditate or you're being mindful that you can put yourself in a state that you might also call flow or zone. What tends to be going on, though, when you're in that state is that you feel, you feel safe, secure, content, happy. You might be, you know, excited or calm. Yes, kind of just like everything is good it's just going on you're just kind of like in that space which you know can also be achieved in in mindfulness as well as when you're doing things so it's the same thing you know we didn't invent coherence it's a physiological state it's always been there for humans and you know animals go into that state as well you can just hear actually when a dog or a cat's happy the way they breathe that they've gone into this very balanced coherent state so yeah it's it's a specific state that is a probably is the most not probably i'll put myself out there it is the most appropriate state for what we're doing throughout the day not if we need to really be active then more sympathetic is appropriate but for you know meetings emails writing reports conversations necessarily when you're talking because the autonomic nervous system is slightly dysregulated then but even so, with practice, you can be coherent even when you're talking. The body rhythms will maintain the coherent pattern, even though your breath isn't balanced. That will still be going on. Yeah, so it's, it is, it's the same thing, really, as flow and zone. And then can we impact one another? So uh-huh. in our heart vibrates, doesn't it? Or we vibrate. There's an energy force around us. Some people might not agree with that. But so how well, can we impact so this is the bit where, you know, there's the science side of heart math, which is, you know, the factual, no one can argue with it, which also includes, by the way, the fact that we have an electromagnetic field. I mean, that's factual. We are all emitting an energy field and that can be measured. You know, if you, if you decide to spend tens of thousands of pounds on a squid magnetometer, you could measure your own electromagnetic field. So that's a fact. Our kind of like hypothesis, and there's certainly a very interesting and growing body of research around physiological, psychophysiological uh, synchronization. Our hypothesis is that that information that the heart is putting out into the environment is is another form of information that other people can pick up on. So in addition to nonverbal communication or just, you know, the fact that you're nodding now as I'm talking and, you know, people's voices and body movements and all that type of thing, that there's another form of information that's available that is below consciousness and it's energetic. So our hypothesis, our belief is other people 
either consciously or unconsciously, for most people it's unconscious, are picking up on your electromagnetic field. Now, if you're feeling anxious, stressed, worried, scared, fearful, angry, your electromagnetic field is imprinted with that, those frequencies. It has to be because the heart's beating in that chaotic manner. So the electromagnetic information is, is chaotic as well. So another person will pick up on that. And if they're picking up on chaos, it is going to be a form of information that their body and brain unconsciously uses to keep itself safe and decide whether am I potentially in danger here or not. It doesn't matter how good you are at putting on the poker face or pretending that you're not angry or irritated or whatever. There's another form of information that people are picking up on. So they get, there's going to be a conflict and misalignment between a sense, even if it's unconscious and what they're seeing. So there's going to be some interference between you both. Whereas if you can recognize that actually you can make yourself coherent, you're going to put coherent information into your field. Yeah, and then there's a good chance that the other person is going to pick up on that consciously and they're just going to get the sense oh, i i feel safe around this person i like this person i believe this person trust them that i'm interested in them perhaps even as well you know and then that can only benefit the relationship so yeah that's that, that stuff's kind of harder to measure scientifically. It's going on at the moment, and that's what we do. And there's interesting evidence that shows that locally. There's also lots of wonderful research that shows that in terms of brainwaves as well, that people's brainwaves synchronise. That's, I would say, factual now in the world of science, that our biorhythms synchronise, particularly actually when we feel good and safe and like each other and stuff like that. We have another hypothesis is that that also acts more globally. And so literally, you know, all of us as forms of life on this planet, humans, but actually every form of life emits electromagnetic fields. And that the more coherent those fields could be, then the more benefit that might have on the world. So this is where some people might, you know, not agree. So don't don't throw out the, the baby with the bathwater here. Take all of the scientific stuff that's valid and all the good stuff about breathing and heart rhythms and those types of things is all it's all safe for you. Don't throw that away. Um, but our perspective, our belief, if you like, and that's, I guess, where heart has moved more into the esoteric, is that if we can all live our lives more coherently, we're putting this coherent information out into a field, which is a shared field around the whole of the earth that all life contributes to, that that can create like a standing wave. So one of the things we know about coherence in physics is that even small kind of like beacons or pockets or islands of coherence in chaotic systems can bring those chaotic systems into coherence that's the physics okay where people seem to have a bit of a problem is that humans might be able to do that with and for each other so okay if you don't believe that that's fine but we do and our belief is that actually if we want to create a better world then one of the ways that we need to do that is to take responsibility for ourselves, put ourselves into optimal psychophysiological states, put ourselves into states where we might be more predisposed to feeling care, compassion towards other people and the environment and animals. And that that is actually the foundation of how you create a better world. Otherwise, it's just a sort of pie in the sky idealistic thing. Wouldn't it be great if the world lived in peace? Yeah, it would be. How are we going to do it? <laughs> well, you do it as an individual. It scales up socially. And then that scales up globally. So we have a model of individual, social and global coherence. And I'm sure that 
any of us would remember an incident of walking into a room where there's a dark cloud because somebody's in a Mm. bad mood or walking into a room that's happy and even if you go in feeling a bit crap yourself you'll be infected by it we are we're infected by other people's emotions all the time unfortunately other people's negative emotions are very powerful as well they can draw us in so yeah I, I, you're right you know we have phrases don't we like oh i walked into the room you could cut the air with a knife now if you're very firmly wedded to a kind of materialist reductionist view of the world then you say well yeah that's because you walked in and you noticed consciously or unconsciously people's body language or whatever yeah okay yeah that happens of course it does but i think other people would also say yeah but there's something else as well there's another thing that I'm picking up on and that I would suggest is the energetic side that also extends to things like the weird sense of being stared at you know what's going on there how is it that you can know you're being stared at when you can't know you're being stared at because you can't see the other person again if you're very firmly wedded to a materialist only worldview then you say well it's coincidence you know you thought you're being stared at you turned around someone was staring at you but that happens all the time but my view is I think there's other things going on that are energetic and so, yeah, that's part of my belief system. And so my belief is I'm, I'm, I can control some of the energy that I'm giving off by regulating myself mechanically through my breathing, but then also emotionally through my ability to self-regulate. And that's my responsibility. And I want to put that out into the world. We talk about feeding the field. Yeah. And so I want to be responsible for what I feel, feed the field. And I don't want to feed it my crap, my anxiety, my worry, my anger, my, you know, it's normal and natural to feel some of that as a human but i want to be in control where i could also feed feed it more of care compassion appreciation love gratitude those types of things because it's a different form of energy and so for you personally then gavin was there a Mm. moment that brought you to this or do you notice a before and after a difference to your life i do it's been a journey for me what brought me originally was many people who explore this space was a was a crucible in my life so i i was awoken by losing somebody i love so i I lost my first wife to breast cancer she was young i was young and so one of those things that that forces you to think about reality in the world and sort of turned everything upside down for me because up till that point i'd been corporate world and achievement and extrinsic gratification and stuff like that but when something like that happens to you it's a it's a wake up people often use that phrase don't they and that sort of put me on my own journey of exploration and as often happens when you have a an awakening to well maybe this isn't what life's all about what could it be about that's when heart math popped up for me after that i'd gone and done an mba so uh, you know I, i there's a bit of me that's very left brain and analytical and all that type of thing you can relate to maybe many of your your listeners you know i got the mba i'm an entj all that type of stuff but i i got very interested in leadership and emotional intelligence and that type of thing when i was doing the mba and i realized that was when i woke up to the fact that i i didn't really know who i was and i didn't really understand that it could self-regulate and yeah i I realized i had a low level of self-awareness and low level of ability to self-manage and self-regulate. So that's when Hartman popped up. And so for me, it was love at first sight or first breath rather. And I like data, I like gadgets. It was the gadgetry and the science that really got my interest. And that's the only reason that I started to practice the techniques. But then lo and behold, I realized when I practiced the techniques that they worked. So I had been a very anxious person, a catastrophizer, high need for achievement, 
you know, all that type of stuff. I can remember going to work, sweating and stuff, just kind of like anxiety levels. And I found when I practiced this stuff that that was reducing. And so it became a habit for me very quickly. I noticed the benefits mentally, physically, emotionally. I even noticed benefits in terms of you're kind of getting illnesses less frequently, colds and flus I used to get all the time. I used to push myself, I used to do triathlon, I used to push myself, I used to get injuries all the time and muscle pains and stuff. And even that type of stuff began to to reduce and, you know, started training because I enjoyed it as opposed to wanting to smash my times every time, you know. So, yeah, I it, it, it has transformed me. It wasn't an overnight thing. The esoteric side, if you like, the kind of heart opening aspect of this, has been a, a very slow journey. I discovered all this stuff 14 years ago, and it's still, you know, I, I still don't have an open heart in a sort of Dalai Lama type sense, but I'm getting there. And I practice every day. I do a practice with a preach, and I live my life from my heart now more than I did previously. And I'm a happy guy. I'm a lucky guy. I had something horrible that happened to me in the past, but my life's gone on, you know. I'm, married again I was lucky enough to meet someone I love I've got children I love my job yeah I still get stressed every now and again I'm not I'm a human everyone does but I don't carry that stuff for a long time you know it's in and it's out and yeah and, and I'll never ever not be stressed about things like it's not about being a you know like a monk in a cave type thing that's not real that's not what the world's about well, we need the stress it keeps us we need alive it. yeah it's absolutely and it keeps us on it's information isn't it it keeps yeah. us on a path. As somebody said to me, if if we didn't feel ever feel stress, we would walk out and cross the road without going to a traffic lights to stop, sure. you know, because we wouldn't think that anyone was going to knock us down. I mean, that's a very basic way of thinking that stress is necessary. It keeps us safe and alive, and we never want to turn that off, ever. No. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, we talked about mental toughness earlier on, and I think what you've just talked about now, to me, that's mental toughness knowing when to say no to something or when to say yes to something knowing how to feed back into your, your the whole feedback loop yeah. rather than kind of going regard carry on regardless yeah i don't like the word toughness i know it's just a word and mm. what's more important well it's strength maybe mental but strength yeah i think because you know what really what heart math is about and, and actually what coherence is about and what heart rate variability is a measure is about is flexibility not toughness or rigidity mm. that's what we're looking for is flexibility and adaptability consciously so i think yeah mental flexibility adaptability that's more what we're looking for the toughness and rigidity can cause problems mm. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a language thing, but I get I get what yeah. you mean. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. I mean I think well maybe I would look at it as being tough as being able to be soft sometimes as well. Yeah, <laughs> because, and that's why it's just language, it's semantics. Isn't yeah, it? and it's more yeah. important is the, is the experience here. Um, yeah, exactly, brilliant. And one other thing was we add heart, Gavin. Tell me about <laughs> we okay. add heart. <laughs> So Weird Heart is an idea I dreamt of for just how we might be able to get this stuff out there for people who are, are, are interested in it. So Weird Heart is a, it's a global movement. It's basically small groups that are run, at the moment they're run by our HeartMath coaches, 
so in all sorts of local areas there's 130 odd groups now in 32 different countries and the idea is that people just come together once a month for 35 minutes to actively practice connecting with their hearts so we spend a bit of time getting coherent connecting with the hearts doing some breathing feeling some appreciation and gratitude but then what's what takes up the next 20 minutes or so is is actively feeling that for each other and for people in their lives and for the world so we're doing the bit there that's the kind of the global coherence bit is we're all coming together same day same time in the locations so everyone in the uk same time america same time local time not same time as each other and then what we're doing is we're we're putting this coherence out into the into the field we're actively practicing feeling or at least trying to feel having the intention to feel care appreciation gratitude for others and ourselves that's a really important part of this we you know breathe it out to others and back into self like the compassion or meta meditation in buddhism and so that's what it is so if anyone's interested just weadheart.com is the website you can find a group near you we could choose to join another group anywhere else in the world because it's all online anyway it's free and yeah once a month we just come together on zoom the group facilitators lead it. It's very simple meditation. There's lots of silence to enable you to really connect with your heart. But if anyone fancies giving this stuff a go, then very welcome. We at heart.com. Brilliant. And actually, that was something that came to mind. You mentioned Zoom there. And can can we impact one another over the airwaves or the Zoom waves? 100%. Yeah, which is incredible. So we don't actually have to be person to person. <laughs> No, because, well, I won't, get, I, won't, I won't get into the kind of electromagnetic side of things, but if I'm coherent, even digitally, you know, because you you will get the sense, even if, let's just keep this as kind of like non-verbal, if you like, but you know whether I'm engaged with you or not. You know whether I'm listening to you. You know what responses I'm having to. There's a, degree, a high degree of engagement or connection there, even if it's just visual and auditory. auditory that's there and so we can be responsible for coherence during a zoom obviously a lot of time people aren't especially if they're in meetings the camera's on and off they're looking around they're doing some emails whilst they're pretending to listen zoom is not a great form of communication unless you try hard basically but coherence is a very easy way to do that so yeah we can do the stuff through zoom definitely brilliant gavin that has been amazing <laughs> I've really oh, enjoyed pleasure. the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And if somebody would like to connect with you, what's the best way to find you? The best way to find me is well, just go to info at heartmath.co.uk. So info at heartmath.co.uk. And yeah, I'll, I will receive your email. I'll be very happy to, to connect. Brilliant. Thank you, Gavin. My pleasure. My pleasure. Imagine if every day you enjoy work, express yourself fully and exceed expectations. I believe we're all entitled to have this and that the future of work life will be changed by those who strive for and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and wider organisation. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, Please leave a review and share it with someone you know who is curious like you.